if you are able to leave your immediate neighborhood and to travel to other people's neighborhoods, you will be able to taste the globe in New York City. Iced out intelligence, I spout the relevance, I spit the elephants chock full of eloquence attributed such immaculate the flesh. And anything that I touch is not worth twice as much. What's going on? I'm Peter J. Kim, and this is Counter Jam, the new show on Food 52's podcast network that explores culture through food and music. On this episode, we're talking NYC, my city, the city that never sleeps, and the city that always eats. All right, on this episode, we're going to dig into New York City hot dog carts, halal carts, bodega sandwiches, and so much more with two incredible musicians, Jerobi White and Khalees. Both are born and raised New Yorkers, and both are music legends who went on to pursue culinary careers. You might know Jerobi from A Tribe Called Quest, but we're kicking it off with a hot beat from another group he started with fellow MC Dress. The group's called Eviton. So this song is called Keep Keepin' On. And to me, it captures one thing that is baked into the city's identity, grit. New York City is full of people who get their ass kicked and keep finding ways to keep keeping on. So here's Jerobi on the mic. If shit floats, Jerobi got them obscure quotes. Baby, if you like me, just post. There'll be another dose of what to leave written. Wordplay differently, cruel to the kittens. They easily smitten with a unique physique. Rhymes on repeat, wild child mystique. Jar of Obi Wan jewels when I school fools. Roby one plus women equal drool pools. You got a wax shop, you use poor tools. You play a bad game with the wrong rules. I'm pretty friendly with the empty. Your style's valid, definitely empty. So if you run up, please be friendly, cause I got an itchy back ass, so please don't check me. Let the light shine throughout your lifetime. Dig deep inside, keep my timeline. Wise, strong, right, wrong, bright, dawn, keep keeping on. Let the light shine throughout your lifetime. Dig deep inside, keep my timeline. Wise, strong, right, wrong, bright, dawn, keep keeping on. Yes, yes. Keep Keeping On, that is Jerobi and Dress of Evitan with Keep Keeping On. Check them out on Spotify and YouTube. This episode is all about New York City. So, on the one hand, it's a little absurd to try to talk about the city's food culture because, in a way, that assumes that there even is one food culture. I mean, there's this pop culture idea of New York City being a place for boozy brunches, thin crust pizza fancy fine dining, cronuts, and so on. But that version only applies to a very tiny subset of the people who live here. I mean, if you're a Ghanaian immigrant in the Bronx, you probably have no idea what a cronut is. Ultimately, New York City food culture really is a refraction of who you are. But what's phenomenal about New York City is this. Whoever you are, or whatever it is you want, the city can probably serve it up. So let's dig into two perspectives on New York City food. First up, I talk to my man, Jerobi White. Jerobi is one of the founding members of A Tribe Called Quest. But not only is he a hip-hop pioneer, he knows his food. Jerobi went to culinary school and is an accomplished chef. Most importantly, he was born in the Bronx and grew up in St. Albans, a neighborhood in Queens. I want to start by asking you, since you're living in Miami right now, what food from NYC... Are you missing right now? Uh, pizza, definitely. Pizza all day, definitely. And um, also some good Chinese food. There's no good Chinese food down here. What? Yeah, oh my gosh, it's terrible, man. Wait, so first of all, what's the pizza like down in Miami? 
Um, there's some pizza that's good, you know what I mean? But it's not the New York thin crust pizza, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. They, don't, they don't have the water, so it'll never be the same. That's right. That's one of those yeah. things I love about New York is like you could walk into pretty much any slice joint and you're going to walk out with a good slice. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe with the exception of like the dollar slice places, which I'm oh, not no, knocking, man. I mean, I've eaten plenty of dollar slices. Well, like four in the morning, those dollar slices are perfect. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I wouldn't call them the pinnacle of like pizza creation, but, no, no, no. but you know, so it, it serves this function very well. Bang for your buck, literally. Uh, <laughs> now going to the Chinese food though, what is it about NYC Chinese food that you're missing? Well, authenticity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, in New York, you can go to Chinatown and get a plate of some duck, some barbecue, um, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Some barbecue ribs and all that stuff for five bucks over some white rice and a little bit of cabbage. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the, the fire, the authentic, the authentic Chinese food is, you know, that's what I like. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. You know, we have, you know, uh, the panda joints and stuff like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, in New York, we actually, you know, we've got multiple Chinatowns. And so you could really yeah. like take your pick and... I mean, mm-hmm. there's. It's true. Like I, I've. I would say like, my my dream day is just like walking around Flushing or walking around. Manhattan, I was just Chinatown. about to say Queens. I was just about yep. to say Queens. Yeah. Flushing is that's. If you want to get the authentic Asian experience, even the authentic Latin American experience. Oh yeah. Flushing is the place to go. Yeah. Well, the whole seven train, man. You just go yeah, down the that train. train. You could just like close your eyes and get out the door, walk down, and walk into the first place you get out of the train. That's right. And that's it's right. gonna be. Maybe it's an arepa. Maybe it's mm. like, you know, oh, maybe yeah. it's like Nepali curry or like, you don't know. It's, yeah, it's going to be so, it's going to be good. I talked to Jerobi about the early days with A Tribe Called Quest, how they met, and of course, what they ate. You're a man of, of many, many talents. Uh, oh, you're a trained you. chef. You're yeah. a hip hop pioneer, an MC. Uh, and of course, notably, you're one of the founding members of A Tribe Called Quest which, no lie, one of my f- all-time favorite hip-hop groups. Thank you, um, thank you, brother. My, my friends would laugh because when, the, you know, I used to always, like, throw parties, and, I mean, the first tracks that would always go on, they'd be like, oh, there's Peter putting on his tribe. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so predictable. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, one thing that never ceases to amaze me is just how far back you go with Q-Tip and with with Fife, rest in peace. Yeah. And so, you know, take me back to those early days when you first moved to St. Albans in Queens. Oh, man. Well, um, definitely felt like a fish out of water at first because I had come from the Bronx at that point and it was a little rougher than what I was used to, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, my parents got me in exile in, in Queens, you know what I mean? <laughs> Until I started feeling my way around, you know what I mean? And and Fife and Tip were a really big part of that um, with uh, their families, you know what I mean? Because they're all very family-oriented, so I was just automatically just taken into their families. Yeah, yeah. And and how did you first make that musical connection with five uh uh, there was a mutual his name was lee bostick shout out lee what's up lee lee met me and was like oh my gosh i have this friend you have to meet him you guys will get along so well you know what i mean and um i met five at first and i was like oh i don't like that kid what are you you talking about you know what i mean (laughs) and he was like and you guys are like 10 or 11 years old right now right 10 11 absolutely and um then he was like no no you guys got it wrong so he set us up he made us uh 
meet him at the video game place. And we're playing video games. He started a conversation about basketball and he kind of stepped out of the conversation. And it was me and Fife talking to each other before we knew it. You look up from playing the video games like, oh, are you kidding me? So I was like, oh, I guess you're cool. You know what I mean? And so we left, <laughs> walked outside, and I just started doing a beatbox. He was like, oh, my gosh, you do the beatbox, I rap. I was like, well, kick a rap. And I did the beatbox. And we're like, oh, wow, this is dope. You play basketball? Yeah, come on, let's go to the court. So we walked to the, walked to the basketball court. And I'm doing a beatbox, he's rapping, and we got along famously. And he was like, yo, you got to be my, my boy. You know what I'm saying? I was like, okay, cool. So we walked to the other basketball, basketball court. I see this dude with these long shoulders shooting free throws. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yo, this is my friend Q-Tip. I was like, oh, hey, what's up? You know what I mean? And it was on from there. And they were, were they already doing music together? Um, yeah, they were definitely writing raps together because yeah, yeah. from what I heard at eight, nine years old, <laughs> uh, Malik went, uh, Fife went up to Q-Tip and was like, I'm rapping now. I feel like you should do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how they started. That's crazy. And then how did Ali Shaheen Muhammad get thrown into the mix too? Q-Tip went to high school and he went to this high school called Murray Berksham High School. And that high school was uh, insane. Um, the Jungle Brothers went there. Um, the guys from, uh, what is the name of the group? Uh, Black Watch. Um, yep. X-Clan. Yep. And there were a couple other famous dudes there. So that high school was like a who's who of a lot of early, really influential hip hop. That is crazy. And Ali went to that school and he was like, yo, I got this DJ. He's nice. His name is, his name is Shahid. He's nice. And he was nice. <laughs> and, and then at 14 at 14 years old we start making demos that is wild. yeah crazy and while you guys were doing that music were you going out to eat at all i mean i don't really know i grew up in the midwest so right. i have no idea what it's like to be you know at that age in, in new york city right so um like i said they went to murray Berkshire, which was in the city yeah. It was uh it's right next door to City Hall. So it was a very a bustling and popping environment. And what was pop yeah. what was popular back then was the dirty water hot dogs and the pretzels. Wait, tell me what the dirty water hot dog you mean from like the hot dog cart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yep, you're yep, just standing yep, in the yep, water yep. all day, those used to be the best hot dogs to us back in the day. Oh yeah. Oh, and they, and oh, they, yeah. And they also had potato knishes. Yeah. They had the potato knishes, they bust them down and put the mustard and the onions in them. Oh yeah, you know I have, I have a theory about the the hot dog water carts. So I think like the thing that those guys have as an advantage over you trying to make a hot dog at home is that water, right? Because they've been yes. making hot dogs in that for God knows how God long. God knows how long. And the thing is, that is some intensely flavored hot dog <laughs> stock right there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And like, <laughs> it's like he's braising. I mean, at that point, it's like he's braising hot dogs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, it's actually a secret ingredient and. If you could buy like a quart container of that hot dog oh, stuff, man. I think that would be gold. Yeah, like it would. the things you could make with that. <laughs> it would. <laughs> just saying. I mean, I feel the same way about bodega like egg and cheese sandwiches. It's the grill. Like, the grill. Exactly. It's right. Grill. So like you got all those layers of of onions yes. and eggs and bacon yes. just going yes. right into those eggs. Yes. There's nothing like it. For the listeners out there who aren't familiar with New York City. As diverse as the city is, one thing that's damn near ubiquitous is the deli, also known as the bodega. 
These are 24-hour stores where you can buy the essentials. Beer, soda, cigarettes, spam, chips, toilet paper, light bulbs, flowers, produce, anything you might need. The inventory of a neighborhood bodega is a reflection of what people need on a daily basis within, say, a three-block radius. In some, you'll see bags of chicharron and boxes of yuca. In others, you'll see homemade tofu and jars of kimchi. Most bodegas have a deli counter, a wondrous place where you can order all kinds of things. Jamaican-style beef patties, Caesar salad, chicken over rice, french fries, turkey sandwiches, and so many other things. You can waltz up to one of these counters and talk to the guy about your sandwich hopes and dreams, and they'll be able to put together something that looks like that. God, I love New York City bodegas. Of course, one of the best things that bodegas do are egg sandwiches, as Jerobi and I were discussing. Back to that conversation. So, like, I have, like, a scorecard, like, a mental scorecard when I go into a bodega Mm -hmm. and I get myself a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, do they toast the bread properly? Like, on the griddle, not, like, through, like, a toaster thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, are they, like... You know, are the are the eggs hammered or is it like, you know, cooked right? Or, you know, how, are they putting I, I like a two slice of American cheese kind of guy. But oh, like somebody yeah. put one or two. No, but no, I need no. two. You need two. And I That's need right. I need you to put I need you to cut my roll. I need you to put bread or uh, butter on it. It's got to be some That's butter right. on it. And then, toast oh, yeah. it. you know what I mean? We, yep. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy. So before the toasters, that's how they did everything. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean, cut, cut it in half. That's right. Put some butter on it and throw it on the grill. That's how everything went. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that is like almost precisely ten times better than what you get. Oh, <laughs> you no probably question. get into a toaster. No question. No question. No question. No question. And they have to. Have, so, they have to have the salt and pepper blend in the shaker. Not that's right. Not separately. It's got to be one shaker. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, that's what I'm right. saying? that's another thing too. I don't know what that. You know what that is about, but. <laughs> oh yeah, no. When I get mine, I always. I, I mean, I could say it in my sleep, but you know. Egg and cheese, salt, pepper, pepper ketchup. Sauce. Well, I sell salt, pepper, hot sauce. Yeah, yeah, salt, pepper, ketchup. Oh, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> and that's the other thing is like the hot sauce varies from from deli to deli. Oh, no so question. like the the Korean delis have a certain kind. They'll you know like the sriracha or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then like the Tunisian delis will have like you know or the Yemeni mm-hmm. Yemeni delis mm-hmm. will have like a certain kind of hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And then they've got like the Latino bodegas. They've got like the Valentina or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so like just depending on where you go, you get a different kind of hot Absolutely. sauce. Absolutely. I mean, I, I like to have a little acidity in my egg and cheese, right so on. I'm going to be, I'm all about the Valentina um, yeah. over like sriracha, but. Yeah. Um, and the Cholula's good too. The Cholula's so good too. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, n- not that I think about this a lot or anything. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> now you're going to see the, the logo for this show is actually an an egg on a Tech 12. Oh, it's like. That's dope. That's like. The egg is my spirit protein. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of bodegas, what's your chopped cheese experience like? So I, you know what? I mean, I can't say that I'm, I am a connoisseur of chopped cheeses. Like, so I, right now I live in Williamsburg and before that I was in East Village. So I've had chopped cheeses in those two neighborhoods. Right, 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 right. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I love it. I mean, yeah. it's delicious. Yeah. Do I know whether it's like what you would get in the Bronx? I haven't had a chopped cheese in the Bronx. Right on, right on. But you come so, from the Midwest, so you guys had loose meat sandwiches, yes? No, not where I oh, was. Oh, okay, okay. No, no, no. Okay. I, I, well, I grew up I grew up in like cornfields of Illinois. Oh, okay, A town okay. called Danville, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's casserole country. Casserole country, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. tater tots. And what I call Midwestern bechamel, the cream of mushroom soup. 
I've never heard that before. That's dope. (laughs) That's dope. It's what it is. I mean, it's like a creamy, like umami rich sauce that you just Mm -hmm. drop on the things. And it's like, same function, same function, same function. Yep. 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 That's amazing. That is amazing. A Tribe Called Quest's first album, People's Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm, dropped in 1990, and man, what a sound. Jazzy hooks, crunchy beats, laid-back rhymes, it's a sound that rocked my world and defined my adolescence. I had to ask Jerobi about the food behind this album. We had, kind of, we had kind of like a system of how to do things. If we were staying in a neighborhood to create, there was this West Indian restaurant called Jeans. And we would get either the curry chicken or the um, brown stew chicken or some oxtails, maybe. And you had to, mm-hmm. and, and the thing that we used to do when we was little, they would always give this little side salad that consisted of like three pieces of lettuce, one, <laughs> one slice of tomato, and one long slice of cucumber <laughs> on the bias, on the longest bias you've ever seen before. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the longest my experience before. And they would give you this little container of like a one ounce one ounce souffle of uh, Italian dressing. This Italian dressing they used to make. And we, yep. and we would pour that over the rice with whatever yep. gravy they had. And it was so amazing. Some of my favorite spots in New York City are restaurants like Jeans, Caribbean restaurants, where you can discover a rich tapestry of flavors derived from the region's many cultural influences. Oxtail stuffed rotis bursting at the seams, Trinidadian doubles, which are little bundles of chickpea curry joy, jerk everything. And don't get me started on the seafood stews of Puerto Rico, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic. Now, I would be remiss to not point out that these cultures didn't collide willingly. Quite to the contrary. Slavery, the forced movement of people, and indentured servitude brought them together. This is one of the most painfully poignant parts of food culture. The beauty of so many cuisines arises out of very dark pasts. Back to my conversation with Jerobi, it so happens that one member of a tribe called Quest, Fife Dog, was Trinidadian. Fife tragically passed away in 2016, but he is remembered as one of the most gifted MCs in hip-hop history. And he did not shy away from his culture's food. Every chance that he would get, he would eat some, he would try to get some West Indian food. I'm telling you. Everywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. and anywhere. He always found the West Indian places everywhere we went. He was like the literal encyclopedia of West Indian places to eat around the globe. It's like he's got his <laughs> roti antenna or something. Oh, too. Yeah, he definitely has a roti antenna. It's curry antenna. Definitely. <laughs> Is that what he ordered when you'd go? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Curry. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Brown soup chicken. We used to eat that a lot, brown soup chicken. Yeah. Mm. No, I, my my go-to is I will rock uh, doubles, uh, goat goat curry, and always I get a side of Kalaloo if they have it. Cause uh, I just, oh, Fife used to love Kalaloo, too, because his grandmother, you know, he's Trinidadian. So we grew up. I mean, I, I guess that's what it is. We grew up eating that food. So that's definitely what yeah. we're accustomed to. Speaking of Caribbean cultures, one thing you'll see all over New York City is the Puerto Rican flag. There's a huge Puerto Rican community, also known as a New Rican community, that by some counts numbers nearly one million. And let me tell you, a lot of them know how to get down. I love summertime in New York City when you see the Puerto Rican flags flying high, the grills fired up, and the music pumping. I want to play the song by Nicodemus with Tempo and the Candela All-Stars, which evokes the mood perfectly for me. It's called Conmigo, and it's all about having a good time. 
talking to Kilis, a multi-hyphenate artist whose work bridges cultures and disciplines, coming up after this. I talked to Kilis, a multi-platinum musician, fashion icon, and chef who grew up in Harlem. You might know her from a certain song about a certain thing that brought the boys to the yard. I've definitely gotten down to that track more times than I can count. But the thing that's perhaps lesser known about Kelis is how she and her music wholly embody the diversity and eclecticness of the city. Take a spin through her later albums and you'll see she's an incredibly versatile musician. In particular, I love her album called Food, appropriately enough, which brings together the sounds of Fela Kuti, Bob Dylan, and Nina Simone in one funky, timeless package. We talked about her experience growing up in Harlem. I should note that, badass that she is, she was breastfeeding her baby while doing this interview. That's why you'll hear some awfully cute noises here and there. When I was pregnant with my oldest son, I remember like I was craving Polish food. And like I grew up, you know, and every Sunday after church, we would go somewhere to eat. And a lot of times we'd go down to like, um, to a place called Teresa's. Oh yeah. And we'd get like, you know, potato pancakes and blitzes and pierogies and locks and all that stuff. And, you know, then like later on, I remember going to uh, Brooklyn looking for like Polish food and just wanting kielbasa and like, <laughs> you know, and then thinking about like the kind of like Greek food we used to eat in like Astoria, Queens, or like all the like great Indian food um, oh, yeah. in Queens as well. You know, I'm just like, literally there's, there's nothing you can want for, I feel like, and not find a pocket of people that are making the best of it. Growing up in New York, like it just sort of changes your, your perspective out the gate. You know, it's like, there was nothing that was that foreign to me ever just because growing up 
it was always right there on that little island. And just be like, oh yeah, let's go get, you know, Jamaican food or let's have pierogies or let's have, you know, go to get like Benin or whatever. It was literally like, especially because my mom's a chef, so she had a huge knowledge yeah. of food, but we grew up just eating everything. Well, your childhood couldn't be a more stark contrast with mine. I grew up in the cornfields of Illinois, ah. where, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the extent of like diversity in food was going to maybe like the Chinese American restaurant in the in right. town. And that was that was basically. Where's it. your and family from originally? My family's Korean American. Okay. And my my dad moved. We I grew up in a town called Danville, Illinois, and we went there because my dad got an engineering job there. But uh, you know, we were we were just one of a handful of Korean American families right. in, in town, and and you know, even there were just wasn't even much of an Asian American community there. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I I just I remember. My brother coming back from college when I was like eight or nine years old, and he came back and made pesto, <laughs> and it just rocked my world. <laughs> that is so funny. You know, I mean, and to think that like my kid now, my kid's like a little over two and a half years old. He's like at injera. He right, eats right, like right, right, you know. Right. <laughs> he ate. He ate at the goddamn Bernard down right like as one of his first restaurant meals no it's and, so funny you know, I look at my kids too like we laugh because like obviously I'm a chef and like I'm always trying to buy ingredients and just interesting things but they get so spoiled and they get so accustomed that that becomes their norm which is obviously so different than ours like yeah. you know my son will be like can you put truffle in the eggs and you're like what <laughs> like no <laughs> you're like are you kidding <laughs> Like, it's just a whole different thing. It's just so funny, like, oh, yeah, to man. think about, like, how we grew up and how our kids are growing up. It just makes me laugh. I'm glad it's not just my kids, though. <laughs> and so your version of that, though, was you were, you were in Harlem. Yeah. And, of course, you had the world at your fingertips in New York City. But what was, what was cooking like at home? Who was cooking at home and what kind of stuff were you eating? Well, my mom is Chinese and Puerto Rican, so we grew up eating a lot of, like, like the China Latina thing, which is very common in New York, which I didn't realize yeah. wasn't a thing anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. China Latina is yet another cuisine born out of the collision of cultures. Here, Chinese cultures and Latin cultures that arose out of the movement of Chinese migrants to various Caribbean countries. In Kalisa's case, Puerto Rico. Like, I'd be like, yeah, like China Latina. They're like, we don't know what that is. <laughs> They're like, that's so weird. Those two. I'm like, it's actually not weird. It's my entire family. So, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's my, that's delicious. my life. Yeah, I'm like, it's my yeah. life. It's delicious. My mom was the cook, so she would cook all kinds of stuff. Um, I think I realized like how much, how much more Latin, like Afro Latin, I am now as an adult. Now that I do cook, than I thought as a kid. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize how Puerto Rican I really was. Yeah. <laughs> Because I identify with being black. Like, I'm black, and, like, that's how I was raised. And But, like, the food really kind of yeah. is a nod to a whole other side of my family that, like, I didn't really realize until I had to start digging deep and really thinking about who I wanted to be as a chef and who I was naturally and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, damn, like, I'm really very Puerto Rican. Um, so what were some of your mom's dishes that, that called out to you when you think about that? That Puerto Rican culinary identity. We grew up eating, like, the whole roast pig. Like, that was oh, yeah. definitely, like... And it's funny because, yeah, like, Chinese culture and then also Puerto Rican culture, it's similarly, they both, like, a whole roast pig is, like, that means happy holiday times. Like, that's just, Oh, yeah. 
Was it? Did you guys do it in a box like the cajina? like a cachina? We, well, we yeah, we didn't have like we didn't have a cachina. So my mom would like just roast that whole sucker um, in the where. It, well, my mom because again because my mom was a chef, so she had like a we had a restaurant like massive oven in our house growing up, like the big like it looks like diesel engine type thing. <laughs> like it just oh, looks like what a dream. Yeah, we grew up like that. So like she would just stick, I mean, it was huge. She would just stick the whole thing in there. Wow. I don't think that many people grow up with a whole pig sized. Oven. Yeah, probably not. But that was definitely a regular <laughs> thing for us. Um, yeah. And then like, so yeah, the penil and she would always make that. And like we would mm. fight over like the butt because that tail was so crispy and it was so good. Oh yeah. And then like lots of like rice things. So like, you know, like arroz con gandules or rice and peas. It's so funny though, this is actually hilarious. So recently we had like a family, like a little family gathering at our at our house. And my husband, <laughs> my husband's been doing like a cabbage cleanse. It's like a whole probiotic thing, whatever. I mean, I'm I'm Korean, by the way, so like my diet is basically oh, right. an ongoing, okay, ongoing right. cabbage cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Got it. So you'll relate to this. So it's so funny. So like my husband, my mom is like, okay, well, what are you gonna make? And I'm like, oh, well, we just, you know, we just slaughtered one of our sheep. We're gonna, I'll make some lamb. She's like, okay, cool. She's like, what should I bring? I was like, I don't know. My husband whispers, like, tell her. Don't make cabbage. So I laughed because like, <laughs> but here's the funny thing. I didn't think about it because it's, it's my mom, right? Like my mom, you know, but like our parents have these go-to things. He's like, your mom always makes cabbage, right? He's like, tell her not to make the cabbage. <laughs> so I was like, all right, mom. So I'm on the phone. I'm like, mom, so, you know, don't make cabbage. Mike just has done this cabbage cleanse thing, you know, whatever. So like a week goes by and she's on the phone. It's like the day before we're, we're going to have this family gathering. And she's like, okay, so I'm going to make the rice and peas and I'll bring the cabbage. And Mike's like, I thought you told her don't bring the cabbage. And I'm like, I did tell her not to bring it. I'm like, I did. I told her not to make the cabbage. Like, but the funny thing is, it's a very Caribbean thing also. But like, yeah. I forgot because it is like, it's one of those things my mom always makes fried cabbage, like just always. But it's like, I didn't even think about it because like, Whatever. It's like, you know, it was my mom and husband's like, tell her, don't make the cabbage. But of can't, course, she actually made the, the she made the cabbage. Yeah, she made the cabbage. <laughs> she's like, so and she always what makes I'm hearing from you is you want more cabbage? Right, that you want the cabbage. <laughs> right, exactly. She's like, so I'll definitely bring my cabbage. We're like, okay. And then she makes so much of it. And like, she'll take leftovers for herself and then leave the cabbage. So she leaves tons of cabbage. It's actually very funny. It just made me think of that. I'm like, <laughs> lots of cabbage. <laughs> my wife knows. I mean, cabbage is like my spirit vegetable and all of its various incarnations. <laughs> and so, like, I mean, I swear to God, like, I'm like Captain Planet and what, like, and Sunshine. You know, you know how he needed that to like go uh -huh. on. Like, for me, it was like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. Like that stuff just gives me like so the, funny. Like, it just make, gives me energy. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> I love that. No, I get it though. I have foods like that too, though, for sure. Like orange juice is like, I cannot live without it. Like I don't even, understand. I don't want a life without it. Like I don't. I'm like, people start their day with like tea or coffee. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But like, I need like, and it's like, I'm, I'm like really stank about my orange juice too. Like very stank about it. <laughs> like no orange juice will just do. Like I get angry about it. I'm like, what is this? Like I, I find myself getting genuinely perturbed, like really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Kalisa, I, I mean, I, I, I can totally get, I get that. I mean, there, I would say orange juice is one of the juices where you have the highest sort of gradient of quality. Absolutely. Um, totally. It's like, when it's wrong, it's infuriating. <laughs> I took a little detour from talking about New York City because I was so curious to talk about Kalisa's culinary training and the thing she's most obsessed about making. As I understand it, you started... Studying cooking in 2009, going to the Cordon Bleu. 
Yeah. Um, where you became a, a where you studied the arts of being a saucier. And if I understand correctly, Khalees, you're really into sauce. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of obsessed. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I went, obviously, Le Cordon Bleu is a French school. And so it is sauce heavy, I think, naturally. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think without really knowing it, I started to, I gravitated towards it and I was thriving in it. I think it was just very natural for me and... I loved it. And then I, th- you know, I started thinking about like how I cook and the things that I love. And it's always because it's like drenched in something. <laughs> the biggest cardinal sins at a holiday meal is not having gravy. And I Oh, no, it's just wrong. No, no. It's like, how dare you? First of all, like, what are we supposed to do with this plate? Like, what am I supposed What is this? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, or no, I hate it when like, or even if they have gravy and it's like comes in a tiny gravy boat. I'm like, come on now. Like, yeah, I want I, a that is my single serving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want a trough. Yeah. I'm like, so that's mine. Yeah. Thank you. For that. <laughs> you know, I think sauce is like, I always say like sauce is the defining factor. You know, it's like, yeah. it tells you where you're at, you know, like we can make steak a million different ways, but like, it's kind of like, what are we, what are we dipping it in? Is it chimichurri? Is it ahi? Is yeah. it you know, barbecue, is it a bordelais? Like, where are we? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where are we coming from? Sauce kind of, to me, is the, it's really? it's a deciding factor. It's the difference. Okay. Bringing it back to New York City, one of the oh-so-charming things that you'll encounter here is comparison. Who's got the bigger apartment, the better location, the better rent, the cooler parties, the more prestigious job, and also, who discovered what first? I remember being like probably in my early 20s and coming home from the club one night. It was like 3 a.m. and I call my mom and I'm like, oh, my God, mom, I found the most incredible falafel shawarma place. And she was like literally at three o'clock in the morning. She's like, oh, my moons. I've been going there since the 70s. And I was like, oh, goodbye. And I just hung up. I'm like, yeah. She was so like been there, done that. But like uh, my moons on 3rd and McDougal is cracky. Yep. So good. Um, let's see. There used to be. They closed it, but there used to be a place called Georgie's in Harlem. Yeah. Hands down, the most rocking freaking like homemade donuts of all time. Like incredible. It was like these old ladies in there just like slinging donuts, man. They had two. It was like jelly or glaze. That's it. Of course, mm. Chris Rukin came and ruined all that. But I mean, absolutely the best freaking like homemade donuts. Um, let's see. What else do I love in New York? By the way, what your mom did there is so New York City. I mean, that oh, is so like... stank. It's so stank. <laughs> she was so like, oh, <laughs> mamas. I was like, girl, bye. <laughs> like... <laughs> what about like like street staples? Did you ever hit up like the halal carts or go to the bodegas for deli sandwiches? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Like the halal cart on 6th Avenue and like, what is it, like 59th or something like that? That used to be bomb. My dad used to always take us to like uh, Grace Papaya just for like a banana daiquiri, which I still crave. Mm. Um, stuff like that, like pizza, like Lombardi's. Yeah. It's like, you know, the regular like New York staple stuff. Yeah. Back at MoFad, I really wanted to at some point do some kind of deeper dive into halal carts. I just find them to be such an interesting phenomenon where... No, it is. And it's know, only New York. It's only New York. Yeah, it's New York. It's, it's, a, it's a particular flavor profile. It's like not quite South Asian. It's not quite Middle Eastern. 
Um, it's labeled as a halal cart, and most it's people New York. There are not. They're not halal, you know. No, and, it's in a fact, New York yeah. freaking like yeah. it's it's like you only get it there. Yeah, it's fast. It is de- that rice is delicious. Oh yeah, <laughs> like and then you get like so you get like two, three very pale, thin slices of tomato that have been yeah. in the refrigerator way too long, and then some like and you love it, um, and you're like thank yeah, you. Yeah, for yeah exactly. This. It's all about te- it's just a <laughs> textural contrast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then the whole hot sauce, white sauce thing. I mean, and that will bring it back to sauce, right? I mean, those, that ties it all together. If you've never been to New York City, or if you've been, and you've never tried getting a chicken over rice or lamb over rice from the multitudes of halal carts across the city, do it. It'll set you back six bucks or so, and it's just such a fantastic explosion of umami, spice, fat, creaminess, and heat. And as far as I know, it's a dish, at least this configuration of the dish, that's uniquely of New York City. Next, we turn to another one of my favorite things to eat here, fried chicken, and some of the best stuff you can find in surprising places. It's a very New York thing, I think, and it's very like cultural thing, but like the Chinese food that would come to the hood is different yeah. than anything else. Yeah, and yeah. it's amazing because they adapted to where they were at, right? And so right. like that fried wing that you would get through the bulletproof glass. Oh my God. Crack like it's game changing. You, I don't know what they were they, firing that wing in. I, you can't. Like, I, honestly, I've I never tell people. Had a better wing. I tell people the best <laughs> fried chicken you can get is in like hood Chinese American yeah, restaurants all yeah. day. Like the best. It's the best. They put it yeah. in a wax bag. Yeah. Spring, put some hot sauce in the bag. Yeah. I mean, it was just oh man, like the best. It's, it's amazing that fried yeah. rice. It's so damn good. That yeah. stuff like that. And I mean, I don't remember the name of that spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> just like, but oh. I remember like. Literally, I remember that spot being one of the best things you created. It. It's like it was delicious. Or actually, for good Chinese food in New York, I would say like Sam's on, uh, yeah. what is that? It's 9th Street? 9th Street and let me see if I'm walking down. Is it 6th Avenue? <laughs> like you're doing like the mental trip. No, I'm literally, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm always thinking like, okay, I'm like, I'm walking here. I'm like, okay, yeah, so that side of the street, that's where I'm like, I don't know the wait, actual wait, address. Don't pay attention to that naked guy to your right, Achilles. <laughs> yeah, Just, like ignore look, that guy in the roller skates and the freaking thong. Don't worry about him. Go past it, bypass him. Yep, <laughs> you yep. want to go to Sam's. That's one, that's bomb ass noodle bar. Um, like just, yeah, like it's always that, it's like that kind like for me, Obviously, there's, like, tons of amazing restaurants in New York. When I think about, like, my New York and, like, how I grew up and, like, the stuff that, like, was part of my every day, every day, you know? Like, that's what we were eating every day. There you have it. For me, too, the soul of New York City food isn't necessarily in the fine dining or trendy spots. It's in the everyday. It's in that $2 egg drop soup that I can order and sip right out of the pine container on the street. It's in the family-run business in your neighborhood that's slinging dosas or kachapuris or fufu or pierogies. It's in the steaming warm tamales that women magically pull out of blue coolers on the street. Pro tip, if you see people on the street and it looks like they're selling something out of a cooler, and it doesn't look like anything nefarious, obviously, go over there and order whatever's in there. It's probably delicious. Okay, so maybe this is what defines New York City food culture, that it's so diverse that it escapes definition. Jarobi put it well. I feel like New York is the most amazing place to grow up around food because every couple of blocks, the ethnicity of the neighborhood may change. And you can take a bus line, like we're talking about taking a train in Queens, and just taste other people's cuisines. 
You know what I mean? In New York, we definitely live separately, but to work and to go to school and to function, mm-hmm. everybody mixes yeah. together. You know what I mean? And, and going to school, just going to school, yo, son got rice and beans. This kid got noodles. You know what I mean? Right. This kid got ravioli. This got like, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, just yeah. in going to school and being able to change lunches, like, what are you eating? It's like, yo, <laughs> I've never had I've never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Are you kidding me? I've, I've never had oxtails before. You know what I mean? So it, yeah, yeah. a lot of that going on in that. We learned a lot about food. And just going to that and man, if you are able to leave your immediate neighborhood and to travel to other people's neighborhoods, you will be able to taste the globe in New York City. I don't yeah. I think everybody is represented in New York City. We're going to close things out now with another track from Jerobi and Dress of Evitan. It's called Who Is This? If you check out the music video on YouTube, you get to see Jerobi spit rhymes while breaking down a chicken. It's got an irresistible bass groove that I love. Here is Who Is This by Evitan. It's like people hold on to their old traditions. That's why they stay stuck in the same position. The way that my mind avalanches and spills. Cute ladies wanting to beat my tip drill. They like Jay. I'm saying you should practice your writing. I try, but in the moment is much more exciting. Every new bar is like ocean air to Vikings. Enticing. Your shit's bland. Mine's a spicy. You got nice little patterns. I smirk when you spit. Seriously, you can't hold a candle to my shit. Even if you did, it would be opaque. And you, your whole style is transparent and fake. Jerome, he said bars just like he pole wall. Can't handle the stress, well that's your fault. Huh. I'm one fine crafted bastard. Prime time, nice and two games on they ass. It's time, you it's time to break your curfew. The head of the game, black, funky, fresh, and new. Blessed too. Sick, sick like I got Earl to give. As a result, I grab the microphone and spit superlative. Fin in the folder. I spit in decent exposure, and your people should have told you I could bring it to a closure. Shout out to my guests, Jerobi White and Khalees. By the way, if you want to learn how to make sauce like Khalees, check out her class on Skillshare. It's dope. Shout out to our music contributors, all New Yorkers, of course, Jerobi and Dress of Evitan and Nicodemus. Shout out to the Food 52 team and above all, Coral Lee, who is the mastermind behind the curtain. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Counter Jam.